Well, good morning, everyone. My name's Matt. I'm one of the pastors here at Life Church. So glad to be with you this morning. And all of you online, thank you for joining us this morning all around the world. Uh, you can shoot up a little amen on your, uh, your comment bar on the side there to, to let us know that you're with us. And we're so glad that you're here this morning. Uh, again, my name's Matt. I'm one of the pastors here uh, with, along with my beautiful wife, Tanya. And our three kids, Josiah, who is right now running the eCam for us. He's running our online service. And Ashlyn and Aubrey. Uh, we're so glad to be with Life Church. Um, and what we're going to be doing this morning, you guys, we have to dive right into it because we have some work to do this morning. You guys ready to do a little bit of work in the Word of God? Yeah. All right. We're going to do a little bit of work this morning. We've been in a series here in the book of First Peter. We've been going through from the beginning and, and following it along chronologically. And we are already at First uh, Peter chapter 3 this morning. And what we've been doing is we've been taking ourselves through this, 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 this book and, and learning from the Word of God and allowing the Word of God to speak to us. And we're going to do the same thing this morning. Uh, and I'm really excited about this message this morning. You'll see why in a moment I have approached this message with much fear and trembling. Um, and you'll see why in a moment here as we read the passage. So what we're going to do is I'm going to first of all read to you the foundational passage that we've been reading. Uh, the, the, the title of the series is Great Expectations. And our big verse, Peter 1 verse 3. And it says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by His great mercy that we have been born again, because God raised Jesus from the dead. Now we live with great expectations. Somebody say great expectations. Great expectations. Great expectations. Amen. Amen. Now we're going to read our, our text today. And our text is 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Um, you probably won't be able to follow it in your Bibles because I put it up in the ESV version this morning. Uh, ESV English Standard Version. So here we go. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if they do not obey the word, they may be won over without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adornment be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious." For this is how the holy woman who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children. If you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word. God, we thank you that your word is living and active and it's sharper than a two-edged sword. Father, we thank you that your word will accomplish what it is set up to do and it will not return void. And Father, this morning, we come under the authority of your word, Lord Jesus. Lord, we pray that you would give us ears to hear and a heart to understand. We pray that you would give us understanding, Lord God. And we pray that not one person would leave this place the same. In Jesus' name, and everybody said... Amen. Now, do you see while I said I was approaching this sermon with fear and trembling? Yes. Come on, there are so many landmines here. The stuff just writes itself, right? I mean, 
This is like the, the, the classic image of the, uh, the wife barefoot in the kitchen with the kids running around her, her feet while the husband's sitting on the couch going, give me some more, whatever, you know. That's, that's kind of the image that you almost get from this. And it does kind of just write itself. It, it is something that I have approached very fearfully uh, with much fear and trembling. You can ask my wife. And as I began to look into this, why? Because we didn't write it. We didn't write it. God gave it to us for a reason. And now here's the thing. As we look at a passage like this today through our Western mindset, our, 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 I think what the, uh, that um, C.S. Lewis uses is, is modern snobbery. I think it's something along those lines. This idea that we today would look at a scripture like this and think, oh, man, we know so much better than this today. We have to be careful that we don't view the scriptures through that lens. We have to recognize as well that as we look at the scriptures, we're often looking at it through a lens that is influenced and informed by our experiences and by our education. But the lens of scripture, how, do we supposed to, how are we supposed to view the word of God? Well, we get some hints in here in the book of Peter. Because Peter starts out by, uh, uh, first of all, he's writing again to the churches that are into the dispersion. Churches that are under persecution, and he's writing them to encourage them and let them know, listen, you need to keep an eternal perspective. You need to know that we have great expectations no matter what we are going through. And so in the context of being under persecution, in the context of how you live your life, in the context of how you respond to authority, all of this needs to be informed by a perspective of an eternal mindset understanding that we are not tied to this planet, but we are, are actually found, we find ourselves in eternity, that God is actually working out a master plan beyond all of this. When we look at the scriptures, we have to look at them in context. We have to look at them in context of the historical time that they were written. We have to look at them in context of the passage and the way that it's written. And we have to look at them in the context of the entire biblical narrative. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. Instead of going directly to this passage, we're going to dig down underneath it. And we're going to look at um, something that we might call an epistemology, which is a system of thought of biblical authority. Because I think in order for us to have an understanding of this passage, we have to understand some basic truths from the word of God. They're going to inform the way that we view this. You guys with me? Ready to go on a little bit of a journey here? Okay, we're going to dive deep. You guys ready? Here we go. So the lens, we recognize that when we read the scriptures through modern secular lens, as opposed to a lens of the kingdom, it influences our thinking patterns. So here are four foundational ideas about biblical authority. By the way, I've titled this message, A Love Story, Biblical Authority. <laughs> You're like, that doesn't make sense. It will. Just, 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 just flow with me here, all right? A Love Story, Biblical Authority. Okay, and I have a big idea here. And my big idea is that biblical authority begins with and is motivated by love. That's my big idea. Biblical authority begins with and is motivated by love. This is a big idea, and we're going to loop back around to that in just a moment. Here's my first thought. Biblical thought and action is often upside down from the thought patterns of the world around us. 
We need to recognize that biblical thought and the way of thinking that the, the scriptures teach us to, 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 to do and to, to practice are often upside down from the world around us. In the book of Acts chapter 17, verse 6, uh, the, it says here, I think it was the Pharisees, it says, when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. That's how early Christians were known. They were known as people who thought so radically different than the world around them that they literally turned the world upside down. This way of thinking is a way that God has called us to think. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, we have this. It says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. See, whether we know it or not, we are prone to drift into a way of thinking that lines up to the world around us. It's just a default. It just happens. And we need the word of God to remind us about truth. We need the word of God to help shift our thinking. And I love the way that it says in the Phillips translation in Romans 12, it says, don't be squeezed into the world's mold. That's such a good image, hey? being squeezed in the world's mold, but be transformed by renewing the way that you think, by the renewing of your mind and changing the way that you think. Come on, we need the Holy Spirit to help us shift our thinking. We need the word of God to help us and remind us of his truth. Let me just make this very, very practical. We just did this when we worshiped together. We came together, and I don't know about you, I came in this morning with all sorts of distractions on my brain. I mean, there was so many things that were pushing for my attention this morning as I came in here. It was just, there was some technical issues. There were some other things going on. And it was just, ah, brain was just whizzing, okay. And then we stopped and we sang songs to the Lord. And what I did is I told myself at that moment, you will stop right now and you will worship God because he is the most important thing in the planet. And what that did is it turned my thinking upside down. It went from me first and my issues and my things that I'm wrestling with to him first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. You put him first, it turns the world upside down. You put him first, it turns the world upside down. You put him first in your situation, your relationship, it turns the world upside down. You put him first in your job and in your vocation, and it turns the world upside down. We have to recognize that biblical thought is often upside down to the world around us. Now, let's unpack that a little bit more. Number two, biblical authority is ultimately about serving others. Isn't that an upside-down thought? So here's what's going on. Jesus is hanging out with his disciples, and one of the moms comes to Jesus and says, Hey, can you let my son sit beside you when you get into your kingdom? And Jesus is like, Are they willing to drink of the cup that I'm about to drink? And and the wife says, Oh, the mom says, Yeah, yeah, they can do that. No problem. And he says, well, you indeed you will. And then the other disciples get word of this. And they're like, these guys are a bunch of chumps. What are they trying to do? They're trying to put themselves into a position of greatness right in front of us. And they start arguing about who's the greatest again, right? They did that all the time. And this is how Jesus responds. Matthew chapter 20, verse 25. But Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And those who are great exercise authority over them, yet it shall not be among you. But whoever desires to become the greatest among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. 
Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Biblical authority, the image is Jesus. He came with all authority. All authority has been given to me, he said. Jesus came with all authority. What did he do with that authority? He came and he used it to empower and lift up those who were under him. He came to restore. He came to bring life. He didn't come to point down at them and say, look, I'm, in, I'm better than you and I'm in authority over you. He raised them up. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 and 8, it says, Let this mind be in you, which was, also, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. See, as a leader, my job is to empower those underneath me. My goal is to see them succeed. Why? Because if they succeed, I succeed. That's my purpose. That's my goal. And that's a biblical idea of authority. Turn the world upside down, right? Turn the world upside down. We've all had that manager. We've all had that person that's above us that just gets power hungry, gets to their head. They don't treat people well. How's that usually end up? Not very good. And then we've had the opposite side where we have people that are there to listen to us and empower us and give us the, the tools that we need to succeed. And then we can grow and we can, we can improve. This is a biblical idea of authority. That's number two. You guys with me? Yeah. We got two more. Okay, here we go. Number three. By submitting ourselves to the biblical concept of authority, we are actively living the truth that God is in charge. Okay, here's this idea. Let's unpack this for a moment. So there's a um, Roman centurion who has a servant who is sick, and Jesus is hanging out. And when the Bible says in Luke chapter 7, verses 6 through 10, he says, When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. Now, here's the, here's the key. For I, too, am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned to the crowd that followed him and said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent away returned to the house, they found the servant well. Okay, notice the language here. Notice what he says. He doesn't say this. I, too, am a man in authority. I say to my minions, do this, and they do it. I say, go over here, and they do that. They do whatever I tell them to because I'm in charge. He doesn't say that. He says, I, too, am a man under authority. Now, what did Jesus constantly say when he was on on the planet? He said this all the time. I only do what I see my father doing. Even though he had all authority, he could do anything he wanted to, he chose to submit himself to a position of authority. And what do we learn from that? That in order to have authority, you need to be under authority. You need to be under authority. Okay, now let me, let me make this really practical for you. So this is how this would look in our home. So my kids, I've got three of them, and they are perfect angels. Yes, of course. Oh, yeah, they're awesome. They're so great. They're just amazing, and they never do anything wrong. And they always listen. <laughs> Just eyes nodding in the back. <laughs> but on the odd occasion, on the you know, random time where they don't, 
where something happens and there's attitudes and there's things, there's disobedience and whatever. It does happen sometimes. I'll admit it. I will pull them into their room, and I've had this conversation so many times, it's, it's not even funny. And I'll look them in the eye, and they'll be defiant, right? They're just, you know, and I'll be looking them in the eye and trying to deal with them. And I'll say this to them, who's in charge? And they won't answer, of course, because they're being defiant. So they'll just look at me. And I'll say, who's in charge? Um, you are. And I'll say, no. I'll say, what? I'll say, God's in charge. And he says to honor your father and mother. So you're under his authority, not mine. Why? Because I'm teaching them that they need to live a life that honors God. Live a life that is under authority. Remember, it's an upside-down world. We think differently. Authority, the purpose of authority is servanthood and to empower. What does God do for us? He empowers us. He raises us up. The glory of God is revealed in restoration. He restores us. He, he, he gives us good things. He renews our, our, our hearts. He renews our souls. He, 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 oh, man, he is so good. That's what he does. And he's our model, and that's what we need to be like to others around us. What is my goal for my kids? To empower them, to see them to grow, to see them to exceed what I've done and go beyond that. Why? Because I'm under the authority of God. I'm under his authority. So biblical authority is ultimately about serving others. By submitting ourselves to biblical concepts of authority, we're actively living the truth that God is in charge. Ultimately, God is in charge. What do we do these things for? To the glory of God. Why do we follow his commandments? To the glory of God. And number four, and this is the last one today, and then we're just going to briefly touch on this passage today, and then I'll be done. Okay. Number four. This is a pursuit of a biblical ideal, and our motive is love. This is a pursuit of a biblical ideal, and our motive is love. Okay, here's an idea. Here's a big idea. In order to understand any commandment in the Bible, we have to go back to the greatest commandment. Remember, they say, well, you know, how do I, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to them in Matthew 22, verse 36, he says, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment of all? Is what he says. And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. In other passages, it says, Upon this truth hangs all the law and the prophets. This is all of it. So remember my big idea at the beginning? Biblical authority begins with and is motivated by love. It is motivated by love. It's not a have to, it's a get to. It's not a have to, it's a want to. God, my heart is to honor you. And I don't understand this, but I'm going to try and live up to this. I don't get this, but I'm going to trust you that you know what you're doing and you know better than I do. See, we often fall in this trap to believe that we've got this all figured out on our own and we don't need God. We drift into this place all the time. But as we come to the word of God, we need to be reminded that God is in control, that ultimately we're serving him, and he's the one that we are responding to. We're under his authority. And it is motivated. What is his motivation? It's love. It's love. That's why it's motivated. That's what it's motivated by. Our motive is love. Um, I experienced this motive of love thing recently. Um, My beautiful wife, who is sitting right here, she's so beautiful. Isn't she beautiful? Give her a hand because she's just awesome. Thank you. 
I'm gonna get in trouble when I get home. Um, we just recently moved, and the one thing about my wife is that she cannot rest until everything is in place. If you come into our home during Christmas and you move a Christmas decoration, she'll just walk in and put it right back in the same place because it's just she's got an order to things. And so one of the things that we've been missing is a carpet for our entryway, a big carpet for our family room. And um, so my parents agreed to help us, and we went to Costco, and we bought a carpet and brought it home. And by the way, guys, if you've ever been to Costco to get a carpet, I just want to let you know, uh, you better bring two or three guys because those things are like, it's a beast. It's crazy. And I had no idea. I'm like, oh, yeah, carpet. Okay, you know, and I, you know, it's reefing it out of there, and you got to put it on the on the thing cart, and you're awkwardly walking through everybody as they're all trying to avoid you, and then you know you walk up to the front and pay for the thing, and then I we brought the truck that we were boring right now, we dumped it in the back of the truck, drove it home, picked it up out of the truck, and got you know when you get angry you get stronger, so I got angry and you know and pull it and pull it inside and put it down, and there we go. Okay, I'm going to bed. I'm done. So the next day, Ton's like, okay, let's let's take a look at this. She goes. I got a problem, Matt. I said, what is it? I don't like it. (laughs) I think it's great. No, you're just saying that, right? You're just saying that. You don't really mean that because you don't want to have to go back to Costco. No, no, I really do. I think it's great. So what happens? I pick up the carpet. And this time I'm really angry. <laughs> and, I, uh, and I make my way outside, and I put it in the back of the truck, in the big old truck, drive it back to Costco. Such a pain trying to find a parking spot there. Pull the thing out of the back, go inside. They're like, no, you need to do this, this, and this. So there's like five steps I have to take to go to the back. Hope there's another carpet there. Pull it out, bring it up, bring the other one over, return it, get it back. And I'm sitting there, and I, I walk up to the return counter, and I walk up, and he goes, what are you bringing back? And I said, that carpet over there. He goes, Why? I said, because my wife doesn't like the color. And he bursts out laughing. (laughs) And he can't even control himself. He's like, I just had to do the same thing. (laughs) And he's killing himself laughing. And, um, and 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 I looked at him and I said, yeah, man, but you know what? I love my wife. And so this is the way that I can show her that I love her. I can submit to her. My motivation is love. I didn't say it that way, but I, I'm saying that to you right now. So we returned the carpet, and we brought it home, and then she wanted the other one. So we went back and got that one. Anyways, my point is, we did. She gave me permission to say that. You did, you did give me permission to say that. Yes, three times. Three times. Oh, God bless you. Yes, thank you. Okay, I'm done. That's it. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> My point is, the motive, I had to remind myself, by the way, but it's true, the reason that I served my wife that way is because I love her. Not because I have to, but because I want to. I had to remind myself of that, by the way. I had to shift my mentality. I had to go from a have to to a want to mentality, but I did, and I embraced it, and I recognized that that was my opportunity to honor my wife. It was my opportunity to show her that I care about her. And when I recognized that, it changed, it changed my attitude. And I was able to do that with a good attitude and a good heart. So we've got these four thoughts. We've got this idea that biblical thought and action is often upside down from the patterns of the world around us. We've got this idea that biblical authority is ultimately about serving others. And that by submitting to biblical concepts of authority, we're actively living the truth that God is in charge. And finally, 
we've got this idea that, the, that this is a pursuit of a biblical ideal and our motive is love. Okay, now we've dealt with the love part of it, but what about this idea of this biblical idea? What are we talking about there? Well, throughout the scriptures, there are commandments that are given to us that we cannot 100% live up to. For instance, we read one of these earlier in the book of 1 Peter, where Peter says, therefore, be holy as I am holy. And you might look at that and go, wow. We, and we talked about that. We unpacked that. You want to go back into that message and check it out because we explain what we're talking about when we're talking about holiness there. But we say, be holy as, as I am holy. Here's the reality, church. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we cannot live up to that ideal. But does that excuse us from pursuing it? No. Because what God is after is our heart, and he desires that we would pursue the things that he's put out there, the standard that he has raised up. Is it because he's a big killjoy and just wants to steal all of our joy away? No, no, no. It's because he actually designed it, and he knows how best to fulfill us and satisfy us. And so, therefore, our pursuit is of him. Our pursuit is of him, and the evidence is that we're pursuing these ideals. And we're pursuing these standards. So now let's go back and read the passage one more time, very briefly. And then I'm going to give a a quick thought on that. And then we're going to close today. 1 Peter 3, verses 1 through 6. Likewise, wives, be submitted to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won over without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respect and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who obeyed in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, you are her children. And if you do good and do not fear anything, that is frightening. Okay. So stop there for a moment. Obviously there's a lot that Peter writes here about wives. Let's get to the heart of this for a moment. Wives, be subject. That is a choice. And what we have to do is we have to tie it back to what Pastor Mike talked about last week, which is the last passage before this one. Why? Because it says likewise. In some versions, it says therefore. And when there's a therefore, you got to know what it's there for, right? What's before it? And before it is this. For Christ suffered, sorry, where are we? No, sorry. Verse 24, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we have died to sins, uh, might live righteously by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your soul. So it's this picture. I didn't read the whole thing. I apologize. It's a picture of Christ who, although he had the authority and he had the right to withdraw from the call to the cross, though he could have stepped away from it at any time. He could have called down a million angels and relieved himself from that responsibility. He chose to take on that form of a servant. He chose to do it. You know what the Bible calls that? One of the words that he uses is this word meekness or meek. And in Matthew chapter 5, 5, it says this, that um, uh, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And what is that idea? It's this idea of strength under discipline. Great strength under great discipline. Why? What's the motive? Love. 
First of all, a love for God. And second of all, a love for your husband. And then we move on. And again, I said we'd be brief on this, and we will. 1 Peter 3, 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they're heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, I know the part in here that makes everybody cringe is weaker vessel, right? Isn't that just kind of, I don't know what you're saying about that. Um, I'm not going to unpack that too much, other than just to point out that God has just asked the women to be meek and put themselves into a position of weakness to serve their husband. So perhaps this is referring to something that is positional. So here's the image. Wives submitting to their husbands. Now, what about the husbands? If they're in a position of authority, what's their responsibility? What do we just find out? That a biblical authority is about serving. Biblical authority is about empowering and lifting up those who are in that position of servanthood. So here it is. Wives submitting, helping their husbands, the helpmate, the helper, coming alongside to help. Husbands serving their wives. Lifting them up, empowering them, giving them the, helping them to grow into the person that God's called them to be. Wives Submitting, coming under, husbands, serving. Wives, submitting, husbands, serving. And it's like this out-serving thing. And here's my favorite part of this passage. It says this in 1 Peter um, 3, verse 7. It says, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. In the NLT, it says, she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. So this is the biblical picture. Again, this is the ideal. That the wife decides to... Tan, come here for a second. She didn't know she was going to do this. I want you to stand right there. I want you to lift this foot up, and I want you to lean into me. With that foot in the air. Put that foot in the air. There you go. See, she's relying on me. Now, what am I supposed to do? No, come on, hon, let's go. Right? I can't just walk away. So what do I got to do? I got to lean into her. (laughs) It's a terrible analogy. But it, it does the trick. I'm leaning into her. It's this idea of us walking together towards the throne of God. Both of us relying on each other. But ultimately, here's the deal. This is an ideal. It's a biblical ideal. And what happens? Why would God put that there? Because we can't possibly live up to this 100% of the time. Why would God do that? To remind us of what this is actually all about is a relationship with Jesus. See, the Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of God's standard. All have sinned and fallen short of his glory and his ideal. The wages of sin is death, which is separation from God. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. And what we have to do, church, is we have to look at this passage through the lens of the scriptures, but through the lens of the gospel. Because some of you are sitting here right now and saying, man, that ideal just seems so far-fetched, and I am so far from that. But this is the heart that God wants us to have, to pursue this, to set our minds towards it, to say, God, I want to be more like that. I want to grow in that. And then when we fail, it's that we would return to God and say, God, I failed and I messed up. Please forgive me and help me to keep stepping forward. This is an image of the gospel, that none of us can do this on our own, that there's a high standard that none of us can live up to. The wages of sin is death. In fact, in the book of Isaiah, it says our, our attempts at righteousness are like filthy rags. But the good news of the gospel is that he became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. See, I, 
I believe that the key to this passage is actually goes back to what it says before. Likewise, our relationship with Jesus. It goes back to a relationship with Jesus. Biblical authority begins with and is motivated by love. And ultimately, it's our love for God and his love for us that sustains us and allows us to keep going and to pursue the biblical ideal. Amen.